Hi, this is Blake. The date that I'm recording right now is Thursday, June 23rd, 2022. As you probably all know, for the past few months on Score to Death Radio, I've been exploring the music of Goblin. And for the past week or so, I've been editing and mixing this very episode. But today I found out some very sad news. One of the founding members of Goblin, guitarist Massimo Marante, has passed away. I don't know when this episode will post. It might not even be for a few weeks from now. But even though the recording for this episode was complete, I felt that it was important for me to say something. So I'm tagging on this intro to the beginning of the episode. The past few months on the show has been a tribute to Goblin. Not just certain members and not just their most popular soundtracks, but a deep dive into their work, history, and careers. As music lovers, I'm sure you all have those artists who truly touched you and changed your lives. There are actually quite a few musicians and bands who have touched my life in different ways, who I can say, I am who I am because of their work. And when I take a step back and look at who has made up the biggest part of who I am these days, or at least my identity, on social media, on this podcast, as an author of two books on film music, and who I aspire to be professionally, there are very few musical artists I can point to specifically who have had a bigger and more direct impact on who I am right now than Goblin. With the Score to Death books, I was given the opportunity to interview and get to know many amazing composers. But the spark that ignited this explosion of passion in me, that prompted me to actually take action and start what was at the time a totally bizarre and overambitious endeavor, to write a book was Goblin. Plain and simple, it was my love for that band that made me want to write Score to Death. And it was Score to Death that made me join Twitter. It was on Twitter that I met Eric, and many of you. And it is because of Eric that I have a forum to record this right now. So basically, I owe the last nine or so years of my life to Goblin. Massimo Morante was born on October 6th, 1952. And it was announced today, June 23rd, 2022, that he passed away at the age of 70. As a guitarist, and even as a member of the band Goblin, he was and continues to be absolutely underrated. He was a unique and tasteful player with a style that took great discipline and showed a lot of restraint. His playing hung back when needed, seamlessly being interwoven into the fabric of a song or film cue, and when it was called for, it shined on lead. So far on this limited series about Goblin, I have not specifically highlighted his talent much. But that is because of two reasons. On the film work, he was often a reliable and essential utility player. And the other reason is because his talent is way more apparent on the band's non-soundtrack work, which I'd like to cover on a future episode. With that said, today's episode does let him shine on a few cues. And I urge you to pay special attention when you hear his guitar. His tone is always awesome, his playing always tasty, and his talent boundless. I didn't know him really. We exchanged a few emails when I was writing the first Score to Death book, but unfortunately, at that time, his participation was not possible. I met him briefly at a few concerts, but sadly, I never got to know him personally. Massimo Marante, the co-founder and guitarist of one of the world's greatest and most underrated bands. You quite literally changed my life for the better, and I thank you for it. You and your talent will be terribly missed by myself and Goblin fans everywhere. Today, my heart is broken. Rest in peace, maestro. Now, let's get on with the show.
This is Score to Death Radio from the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I'm Jay Blake Fischera, and I'm the author of the Score to Death books, which feature detailed interviews with 30 of horror's greatest composers. I'm also the host of Score to Death the podcast, which features audio interviews with several more fantastic composers, and can be found just about everywhere you listen to podcasts. Today we have another very special episode, as we continue our exploration into the music of one of horrors and Italy's most influential bands, which also happens to be one of my favorite bands of all time, and one of the main inspirations for my first Scored to Death book. Of course, we are talking about Goblin. On the last three episodes, we took the podcast world's deepest dive into the band Goblin's film and television work, playing their most beloved themes as well as rare gems and painstakingly discussing their complicated history, while giving insight into the making of all of their scores. This is part four of a multi-part limited series that is exploring various aspects of Goblin's nearly 50-year career. On this episode, we boldly go where no podcast has ever gone before and begin the first of two detailed installments showcasing the soundtracks that the members of the band played on as studio musicians for other composers. Like the previous episodes, all the information I will be discussing today is taken from my own interviews with Claudio Simonetti and Maurizio Guarini from my first Score to Death book, as well as from the knowledge I've gained over the last 20 years from reading various album liner notes and interviews. And most notably from Fabio Capuzzo's amazing book, Goblin, Seven Notes in Red, which is a must read for all Goblin fans. Before we begin... It is important to note that the amount of detailed information about this particular aspect of Goblin's career is somewhat scarce. The members of the band played on many, and I do mean many, albums and film scores as session musicians, both together as a group and individually. In addition to being signed to Cinebox Records as a band, they were also contracted studio players for the label, and in most cases weren't credited for their session work. Even the Goblin expert Fabio Capuzzo acknowledges that the information given in regards to Goblin's participation in some of the scores mentioned in his book is educated speculation and unconfirmed, and he sometimes doesn't specifically say who he believes played on a score, opting for the more general term members of Goblin. And adding to all the confusion, in some cases, record labels inaccurately claim that the entire lineup of Goblin has played on a soundtrack, when it is actually more likely one or two members, if any. So keeping all that in mind, over the next two episodes, I will be playing film scores by various composers and giving you the information that I have found that I feel seems the most accurate or plausible. And in some cases, that information has been confirmed, but in some it has not. So I urge you to take everything with a grain of salt and feel free to reach your own conclusions about who played on what. My goal with these next two installments into this limited Goblin series is to help cultivate a deeper understanding of the band's work and their influence on Italian cinema and film music. Some of what we will hear will be familiar to some Goblin and Italian horror fans. But my hope is that I will also be introducing at least some music and information that will be new to even the most diehard fans of the group. So let's not waste any more time chatting and let's get started. Kicking things off with some music composed by Claudio Simonetti's father, Enrico Simonetti. Thank you. 
just heard the cues Gamma, Drugs Theme, and Oceano from the 1975 television miniseries titled Gamma and directed by Salvatore Nochita. Then we heard Totoli di Testo, Ballando con Maria Juana, and Ballo e Due from the 1975 comedy Grazie Nona, otherwise known as Loverboy, all of which were composed by Enrico Simonetti. With goblin keyboardist Claudio Simonetti's father being a prolific composer, and the one who helped the band get signed to the Cinebox record label, it seems only natural that much of Goblin's early session work would be for Enrique. However, for several reasons, including lack of availability, we will only be touching on a handful of their collaborations in this series. Gamma is a soundtrack album that has been known to Goblin fans for quite some time. Reportedly, the entire Cherry 5 slash Profondo Rosso lineup of the band, made up of Claudio Simonetti, Massimo Morante, Fabio Pignatelli, and Walter Martino, contributed to it, as well as to the score for Grazinona. Like much of the music we will hear throughout the next two episodes, even though the members of Goblin played on the sessions, they were not the only ones. The scores for both Gamma and Grazinona have some orchestral accompaniment. Many of the scores they worked on don't generally sound like Goblin. But to give you a little insight into my process producing these next two shows, my priority was not choosing cues that represent the overall scores, but instead I did my best to choose music that I thought best highlighted the Goblin members involved. So, for example, if Claudio Simonetti was the sole member of the band playing on a particular score, I tried to choose tracks that highlighted the keyboards. If Fabio Pignatelli was playing on a score, I attempted to choose tracks that represented his talent on bass, etc. Now, with that said, one of the things I think Goblin fans will find most interesting throughout these episodes is that even though they were not credited as the composers of the scores, and often the cues don't sound very Goblin-esque, on some occasions, their involvement is unmistakable. Whether it is their playing or just their general influence on Italian film scoring at that time, some of the music we will listen to definitely has the Goblin stamp on it. And this next cue is a pretty good example of that. 1974, though some sources say 1976, saw the release of a post-nuclear war sci-fi film directed by Angelino Fons called La Casa. The score is composed by Enrico Simonetti with the Cherry 5 slash Profondo Rosso lineup of Goblin acting as his studio band. The score is primarily made up of variations of two different themes, and though a soundtrack album has never been released, I was able to find a copy of the film. The sound quality is not great, but I went through the movie, pulled several pieces of audio, and assembled a makeshift suite of the main theme. Why I love this piece is because it is a bit of a rarely heard glimpse of the band in full Cherry 5-ish form, complete with a short but sizzling keyboard solo by Claudio. Now, unfortunately, there is a section of Italian expositional narration, but the reason why I didn't cut it out here is because behind the voiceover, you can hear Massimo killing it on lead guitar. After the main theme suite, you'll hear a version of La Casa's other significant theme. The recording is not taken from the film, but instead taken from a different session. I will explain all that later, but first, let's get to the music. Starting with La Casa, followed by some music from a few other Enrico Simonetti scores.
1946 y el 9 de agosto de 1945 hicieron explosión sobre Hiroshima y Nagasaki dos bombas atómicas de una potencia equivalente a 20.000 toneladas de trinito tolueno que causaron más de 200.000 muertos y que aún hoy siguen causando víctimas. Una bomba de 50 megatones, 50 millones de toneladas de trinito tolueno es 2.500 veces superior a las bombas de Hiroshima y Nagasaki y contiene, por lo tanto, 49.980.000 toneladas de explosión más que aquellas. Esta bomba de 50 megatones, al estallar, forma una bolsa de fuego de 4 kilómetros de diámetro, concentrando una energía de 600.000 millones de kilovatios hora. El cráter abierto por la explosión tendría una boca de 2.400 metros y una profundidad de 120. Sus efectos serían una superficie de 5.500 kilómetros cuadrados de absoluta destrucción. En esta área cesaría todo tipo de vida. Entre los 42 y 72 kilómetros del punto de explosión quedarían pocos supervivientes y sería una zona devastada. Las radiaciones luminosas producirían atroces quemaduras e incendios masivos. Entre 72 y 90 kilómetros causaría efectos mortales y graves destrucciones. Entre 90 y 160 kilómetros se crearía una zona contaminada de radioactividad que causaría una tercera parte de muertos en la población. El ganado perecería y se contaminarían las reservas de alimentos.
We kicked that musical segment off with a suite of the main theme written by Enrico Simonetti for the 1974 film, or 1976, depending on your source, La Casa, that I pulled and edited together from a less-than-ideal quality copy of the film. So please excuse the poor sound on that one. We followed it up with a version of the other notable Simonetti penned theme from La Casa titled Abandano. So, as I stated earlier, the score for La Casa has never been released, and it is primarily made up of two themes, the one I'm calling the main theme and Abandano. Abandano is a piece of music that first appeared on Enrico Simonetti's 1974 album, I Colori del Piano. Within the film, the track has a slightly different arrangement. But unfortunately, I wasn't able to pull a clean version from the film. So what we listen to is the E Colori del Piano version, which allegedly does also feature the Goblin Quartet, backed by strings. We then heard a dance track aptly titled Love Me Love Me, followed by a cool mellow piece titled Arance Amare, from the Enrico Simonetti score for the 1976 Italian comedy Perdurimente Tuo Mi Fermo Macaluso Carmelo Fu Giuseppe, reportedly featuring all four members of Goblin. 
And we finish things off with a jazzy little Enrico Simonetti number called Ballando al Night from a 1974 comedy titled Amore Mio Non Farmi Male, directed by Vittorio Sindoni. Again, presumably the entire 1974 lineup of the band played on it. Okay, so now let's talk about an album that most Goblin fans are somewhat familiar with, but has an odd and confusing backstory. In 1976, a soundtrack album was released for a film called Perci Si Uccidono and credited to composer Willy Brezza and a band called Il Real Impero Britannico. In actuality, side one of that record is mysteriously made up of music composed by Fabio Frizzi and Goblin for a 1975 film titled Giro Giro Tondo con il Sesso e Bello il Mon. Side 2 features the Cherry 5 lineup of Goblin under the pseudonym Il Real Impero Britannico, playing music allegedly composed by Willy Brezza for the 1976 film Perci Si Uccidono. Are you still with me? Because I know this is a little confusing. So remarkably, before Goblin worked with Dario Argento and before Fabio Frizzi worked with Lucio Fulci, they all creatively collaborated on a non-horror score for a film that by all accounts is not very good and was a commercial failure. And although I enjoy the fruits of this unique collaboration, I find the tracks that were allegedly composed by Willy Brezza a tiny bit more interesting, if for no other reason that they sound more like Goblin. I use the term alleged strictly out of opinion, and not based on any research. Willy Brezza very well could have been the sole composer, but because of the seemingly improvisational feel of some of those cues, I believe this is a perfect example of how the players can influence and shape a final score. And if I remember correctly, in his book, Seven Notes in Red, author Fabio Capuzzo also theorizes that the band rearranged Brezza's music to more closely align with their own tastes. Anyway, I will get more into that after we hear some of the music from the above-mentioned films.
We just heard the cues Apopeia and Amonyaka by Fabio Frizzi and Goblin from the 1975 film Giro Giro Tondo con il Sesso e Bello il Mon. However, like many musical collaborations, sometimes specific members take the lead on certain pieces. And in this case, Epopeia was primarily composed by Claudio Simonetti and Amagnaca by Fabio Pignatelli. We then heard Block, Dodici un Quarto, Apotica, and R.I.B., composed by Willy Brezza and performed and recorded by the Cherry Five slash Profondo Rosso lineup of Goblin. I don't necessarily think that these cues are quite on par with Goblin's best work, but I can see a relationship between a lot of this and their Cherry Five album. There's even a track that I didn't play that has vocals by Cherry 5 vocalist Tony Tartarini. As I stated earlier, I believe that Goblin had more of a creative voice on some of these tracks than their, quote, performed by credit on the film implies. The cue block is steered by lead guitar and synthesizer in a way that cannot really be written on a piece of sheet paper. R.I.B. is definitely influenced by the band's love for British progressive rock. And Dodici e un quarto... opens with a thinly veiled homage to Procol Harum's Whiter Shade of Pale. Which Claudio Simonetti once told me is one of his favorite songs of all time, and one that he would later arrange and produce as a dance version in the 1990s for an artist named W. Johnson. By the late 1970s, the band had found success through their collaborations with filmmaker Dario Argento, which not only led to scoring more films themselves, but also a wider variety of composers with whom to record for, both as a band and independently. Let's take a listen to a number of cues from scores composed by Pippo Caruzzo.
We just heard several cues composed by Pippo Caruso. We kicked things off with three cues from Locio Pietro La Parete, reportedly featuring the Roller Album's quintet lineup of the band Goblin, made up of Simonetti, Morante, Pignatelli, Marangolo, and keyboardist Maurizio Guarini. The opening track, Disco Session, definitely feels like Goblin. And while the tracks Recato Biologico and Il Maniaccio e la Ragazzina feel perhaps a little more jazzy in nature than we may be accustomed to hearing from Goblin, they are definitely tracks that exemplify the talents of a band that is in their prime. And again, demonstrate a style of film composition that is not restricted to the page, but fueled by musical improvisation. 
the Q Linkubo e El Serpent from 1977's Malo Dolincenza is the only cue within that film where Goblin's participation shines. The rest of the score is more classical in nature, so much so that it would appear that they did not play on a lot of that soundtrack. However, this track that we just heard with its eerie synth and funky rhythm definitely demonstrates some participation from members of the band, even if we can't be certain which members were actually involved. But it does seem likely that it was most of them, if not all. And I'm just going to throw this out there. Does the opening of that track have a little bit of an It Follows vibe? I'm not saying that anything that Disasterpiece did in It Follows was directly influenced by Goblin or this track, but in my opinion, they share a similar vibe. And then we finished off that set of music with a track titled Masturbation Riff from the 1978 crime drama Porca Sochetta and Evasione Quadruple from the 1978 action film Lea Vase, also known as Escape Women's Prison. In my opinion, these tracks sound a little more like background music from Starsky and Hutch than Goblin, but supposedly at least some of the band's members did play on them. Unfortunately, I don't think there's any documentation stating which ones. Plus, these are instances where a lot of the music in these scores is orchestral, so whichever members did participate, they probably didn't contribute to the entire scores. Before we wrap things up, let's take a listen to a few cues composed by the great Riz Ortolani.
We just heard the cues Il Corpo di Linda and La Fuga from the 1977 Giallo film La Ragazza dal Pijama Giallo, also known as The Pajama Girl Case, directed by Flavio Magarini. We then heard the cues Sahara Cross, Sahara Cross Night Effect Second Version, and Safari Session from the 1977 action film Sahara Cross, all of which were composed by Riz Ortolani who of course is best known to horror fans for his memorable score from the wildly controversial Cannibal Holocaust. It is unclear which members of Goblin played on these tracks, but I suspect it may have only been bassist Fabio Pinatelli and drummer Agostino Marangolo. It's a tough call. What I will say is that their contributions to La Ragazza dal Pijama Giallo are noticeable, even if the score as a whole leaves much to be desired. The last half of the cue La Fuga... is a pretty obvious pull from the breakdown middle section of Death Dies, from Goblin's Profondo Rosso score. Which happens to be the only cue on that soundtrack album that Marangolo played on. Anyway, I originally planned on covering this aspect of the band's career in a single episode, but I was able to find so much interesting music and information that I decided that the topic was worthy of at least two installments. And even with two lengthy episodes, we are still just scratching the surface of the film and television scores that the members of Goblin played on for other composers. I hope you've been enjoying this detailed exploration into Goblin's work in history. Please come back next time to hear music from such notable Italian maestros as Stelvio Cipriani, Fabio Frizzi, and more. If you've been enjoying Score to Death Radio, do me a favor and spread the word on social media. And consider reviewing the show over on Cinematic Sound Radio's Apple Podcast iTunes page. If you'd like to see a full track list for this and every episode of Score to Death Radio, head over to the episodes page at cinematicsound.net. If you want to keep up with all things Score to Death, you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Score to Death. And if you'd like to check out my in-depth interviews with Claudio Simonetti, Maurizio Guarini, and 28 other amazing film music composers, please pick up copies of my books, Score to Death, Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers, and Score to Death 2, More Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers, which are available in both paperback and ebook. And please consider checking out Score to Death, the podcast, where I also interview exceptionally talented composers without always sticking so strictly to the horror genre. And like this show, it is available just about everywhere you listen to podcasts. And lastly, I want to give a shout out to my buddy Mark Pettini for composing the Score to Death theme that you are hearing right now and on every episode of this show. The cinematic sound radio outro that gets edited onto the end of each episode unintentionally implies that somebody else may have written the Score to Death theme, but it was in fact the very talented Mark Pettini. I'm Jay Blake Fischer, and you've been listening to Score to Death Radio on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast. I want to thank Tim Burton for providing his voice for all the bumpers you hear throughout the program and to David Cassina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's theme music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
And wherever you're listening to us today, please take a moment right now to leave us a rating and a review of the podcast. You can get a Cinematic Sound Radio t-shirt at our Tee Public store. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cinematic sound radio. And don't forget to check us out on the web at cinematicsound.net. <laughs>